2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, where Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. We'll end our reading at the end of the chapter and at the end of the epistle. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. I want to call your attention to verse 1 in particular, where Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. We've noted in some of our studies along the way how Paul prayed for the people to whom he ministered. He thanked God for them. He prayed very specific things for them. And he prayed very large things for them. He prayed, for example, for the Ephesians, that they might know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, what a tremendous petition. One we do well to make our own. 
What a blessing becomes our portion when the Lord answers that prayer and we know something that passes knowledge, even the love of Christ in fuller measure in its breadth and length and depth and height. And to be filled with all the fullness of God to such a degree that it is the love of Christ and Christ himself that dominates our hearts. What a great blessing. And as I've often said, the reason these prayers are given to us in the epistles is that we may make them our own. And here is how you pray with assurance, knowing that you're praying in the will of God when you utilize the prayers of Scripture. Oh, that we may indeed might know the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. That petition seems to hold out an ideal for the Christian, doesn't it? To know the love that passes knowledge and to be filled with all the fullness of God. And just when you might be ready to conclude that such a petition presents a very high ideal that only very few, if any, realize, Paul goes on to say, in connection with what he's just said, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Isn't that amazing? We often use those words, don't we, in a general way. But when you look at the specific context in which that statement occurs, that God can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, that is speaking with reference to what Paul has just prayed, that we might know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and that way we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And God is able to go even beyond that, so to speak which ought to encourage our souls to know that there is so much of Christ and so much of his love to be known and to be experienced. Like I say, this verse indicates that the ideal Paul has raised in the previous verse is not a far-fetched ideal, but is something rather that is in reach for every Christian. So Paul prayed for his converts time and again, you can hardly read any of Paul's epistles without knowing that. But by the same token, we also find Paul requesting prayer from his converts. He prayed for them. He desired of them that they pray for him. And so that brings us to the first words in our text in chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. He writes in verse 1. And this, too, was a common practice for Paul, his appeal for others to pray for him. So in Romans 15 and verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Simply put, pray for me. He writes to the Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So Paul prayed. Paul wanted his followers, Christ's followers, to pray for him. 
And the reason Paul requested prayer so frequently is now terribly hard to determine. Paul, you see, certainly recognized his dependence on God. I dare say that any man who recognizes his dependence upon God will have the wit to request the prayers of God's people. The absence of prayer, after all, becomes a declaration of self-sufficiency. You find yourself not given much to prayer, not wanting others or not caring really about whether or not people pray for you. Basically, what you're saying with that kind of attitude is that you're self-sufficient and you don't need the Lord. But we know better than that, don't we? And if ever there was a man who perhaps more than others could be tempted into thinking he was self-sufficient, it would have been the Apostle Paul. When you consider his training, his background, his knowledge, his experience of Christ, when you consider his track record, so to speak, of planning churches, winning souls, writing epistles, we might well understand how he might be tempted to coast on his own laurels or abilities, so to speak. But that's not the case with Paul. It seems that the more he experienced of God's grace and the closer he drew to Christ, the more he realized his dependence upon Christ. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, he writes in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, but our sufficiency is of God. And Paul was very careful to guard himself from any sense of self-sufficiency. So in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, we read, And he said unto me, he's making reference now to that time when he sought the Lord to take away his thorn in the flesh, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's really a verse that you can dwell long and hard on, can't you? God's strength is perfected in your weakness. I look at a text like that and I draw a lot of comfort from it. Oh Lord, I feel myself to be very weak and I am grateful, Lord, that this becomes my greatest qualification for your power. Grant it to me, Lord, and help me to know how weak I really am, so that I may be sure to glory in thee and not to glory in myself at all. You see, the care that Paul took in order to ensure that he might know God's power. He gloried in infirmities rather than in self-sufficiency, he understood most clearly that the thing that could and would get in the way of God's power would be pride. Pride is the thing, you know, that shuts off the flow of grace, so to speak. So he must ever endeavor to maintain that sense of dependence upon God. And by seeing his own weaknesses, rather than glorying in what he might take to be his strengths, he went a long way to ensure that he would continue to know the power of God's grace. 
where dependency is sensed, then the people of God will pray and they'll covet the prayers of others. Nothing in the Christian life is automatic. Nothing in the ministry of the church is automatic. I think there are some churches that appear to think otherwise, and indeed one of the churches, at least one, possibly others, of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, that's one of the things they're more or less criticized for. Oh, the machinery is functioning the way it should. Everything is operating on schedule. Everything seems to be moving the way it should. And yet, they had lost their first love and so needed to be dealt with. Oftentimes, there are those that equate the principles of God's Word to mathematical equations. And they treat the Christian life as if all you have to do is plug the right things into the right places and all will go well, the same way a refrigerator runs when you plug it into the wall. They fail to realize that the means of grace must be made effectual. And the way the means of grace becomes effectual is an answer to the prayers of God's people. That is, you know, perhaps the major reason why we meet in the middle of the week to seek the Lord. Along comes Wednesday. You can begin at that point to anticipate the Lord's day coming. The weekend will be here soon. We'll be in the Lord's house soon. That's a good time to begin thinking and praying. Lord, make the means of grace effectual. Give the preacher the messages you want him to preach. Give me the grace to hear. Help me to have that hearing of faith. Save us from merely going through empty external motions when we meet in your name, Lord, and energize the means of grace by thy Spirit. Obviously, we do need to preach the Word, and we need to strive to live by the Word, but the point I'm emphasizing now is that we must keep the preaching of the Word and living by the Word, immersed in prayer. Otherwise, we won't advance in our lives as Christians. We won't advance as families. We won't advance as a church. We will instead go through the motions and become all the more vulnerable to setbacks and catastrophe and sin. Paul realized that every facet of his ministry then had to be immersed in prayer. And so we find him requesting prayer in chapter 3, verse 1, and note the very specific thing now for which he requests prayer, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. I'd like to focus on that petition for a couple of moments this afternoon in order that we might see fit to make that petition our own as it applies to our own lives, as it applies to our families, as it applies to our church. We must pray that the word of the Lord will have free course. Well, consider with me then, first of all, the need for this petition. In verse 2, Paul makes known the force that could keep the word from having free course. 
Notice what he says, verse 2, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. There were those that were opposed to the word. There were those that deliberately tried to get in the way of the word. There were and there are those that have no faith in the word. We know from the book of Acts that when the word of God was preached, it would create one of two effects. It would bring souls to salvation, or it would stir up opposition. Those who were stirred up against it would do all in their power to keep it from having free course in the hearts of others. We see Elymas, the sorcerer, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 8, withstanding the word in an attempt to keep it from Sergius Paulus. We know, of course, that behind this opposition to the word of the Lord, there are spiritual forces at work. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Here is an example then of the free course of the word being blocked. The God of this world, the devil himself, working through Elymas the sorcerer, deliberately trying to get in the way of the word of God. Such activity, you know, is in keeping with the teaching of Christ in the parables. He tells us in Matthew 13 and verse 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is why I say that the benefits to reading and preaching the word of the Lord are not automatic. The word of God is the focal point for spiritual conflict. And the devil's work is made easier if he can get the people of God to treat the Bible as if it were nothing more than a theology textbook or a code of conduct manual. So long as it's viewed this way, the devil will have succeeded in blocking it from having free course. It may gain free course into a man's mind if that man is treating it like a textbook, but it will never gain free course into his heart. And that's where the truth needs to be. And this is where we need to see it find then lodging in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. It is when it finds its way to the heart of men that men's lives are transformed. It's when it finds its way to the heart that spiritual truths are perceived as reality. It is when it finds its way to the heart of sinners that souls are saved. And as our text indicates to us so plainly, it finds its way to the hearts of hearers in answer to prayer. Lord, grant that the word will have free course. And we need to make it our practice in prayer, that the word indeed would find free course each time it's preached. Let's pray that the word will find free course into our hearts when we read it in private, when we read it together as families, 
What we are praying for, in essence, is that the Lord will make his word effectual in our lives. Or in other words, that he'll attend to that word with supernatural power that is necessary for making it a living word to our lives. I like the way Bishop Lightfoot translates the phrase, He takes the free course of God's word to mean the triumphant career of God's word. Let's pray in other words that the word of the Lord will triumph. The way we find it being triumphant in the book of Acts. So we see the need for this petition. Let's think for a moment on our hope in realizing this petition. There are two things in the first three verses that give us the assurance that our prayers will be heard and answered when we pray that the word will have free course. The first thing is given to us in verse 1. It is simply this. This word over which we're praying is the word of the Lord. This is what we want to have free course. It's not the preacher's thoughts or opinions that we're praying over. It is nothing of human invention or innovation that we want to have free course. It's the word of the Lord that must have free course. We all know, of course, that we're living in a time when man-made innovation has become commonplace in churches. It is generally believed today in many so-called Christian churches that the simple preaching of the word of the Lord is not adequate for such times as these. We need a more modern approach to ministry. We need to utilize our technological advancements in order to make the church more alive today. It's the modern music that must have free course. It's the entertaining drama that must be given free course. And the old-fashioned Christians who oppose these innovations are viewed as the ones that are keeping the gospel from having free course. All the preaching of God's word does, we're told, is to bore people. Too many Christians have had to endure boredom for too long, and so we must utilize the modern methods and the modern styles and use of technology. This mindset completely overlooks the fact that God has ordained that it would be by his word that souls are saved. It is by the word of the Lord that the people of God are edified. And I might add that it is by the preaching of the word of the Lord that God moves with power. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. You know, to those that look upon the preaching of God's word, as something that is old-fashioned, that worked in a bygone, ancient day, but no longer works in our day, they would do well to note that it really didn't work in ancient days either, not by virtue of it being what it was. Now, it only worked because God moved through it. 
It didn't work because it was in and of itself something that automatically happened. And if that power has been missing, the cause must be traced to the prayerlessness of God's people. Not to anything lacking in the word itself. Our hope can be a sure hope that the word will find free course in the hearts of those who expose themselves to it because the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Our hope is further strengthened when we read in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil because it is the word of the Lord, and because God is faithful to his word, we can pray with expectant hearts that the word will have free course in our hearts when it's read and when it's preached. And so we must pray for the word to have free course. We need this petition to be answered. We can expect this petition to be answered I want to consider finally what happens when this petition is answered. When we understand what happens when this petition is answered, we'll understand why we must make this our petition. So consider with me finally and briefly the answer to the petition. Part of the answer is contained in the verse we read a moment ago, verse 3, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. When the word of the Lord has free course to our hearts and triumphs there, we gain stability in our lives. Our anchor holds because Christ is perceived as being the true and living God. The gospel is perceived as being the true message of salvation. We're delivered from evil because we learn to have a dread for sin. We become aware that sin is an offense to the true and living God. It is only when God is viewed as some abstract concept that the people of God can drift into sin so thoughtlessly. When the word has free course, however, the reality of the glory of God is perceived in the heart, and that glory becomes a restraint against sin. When the word has free course, therefore, we are established and kept pure. But note what else we gain in answer to this petition in verse 5. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Oh my, how we need that, don't we? And that is the design of the word, to direct our hearts into the love of God. How does the Lord do that? How does he direct our hearts into his love? He does so by impressing upon our hearts the love of Christ that's revealed in his word, in the gospel. The word of the Lord finds free course into our hearts, and Christ's love becomes a felt reality, not merely an empty dogma. And so I trust this afternoon that you'll sense the need for praying that the word will have free course. This is why you should pray before you read the Word. This is why you should pray before you go to church. This is why you should pray for the preacher in the middle of the week. Oh, Lord, grant that the Word will have free course. 
I trust that you'll have the confidence to pray for that very thing, and I trust that you'll come to appreciate the great benefit to praying that the word of the Lord will have free course. Paul saw how much hinged on the Lord answering such a prayer, the good of God's people, their protection and blessing and edification and usefulness to Christ's service all depended on the word having free course. Our dread of sin, our sense of Christ's love, the salvation of sinners, our sanctification, our unity, our fruitfulness, our steadfastness in the faith, these things all follow where the word of the Lord has free course. Let's make this petition our petition then, and let's pray with expectant hearts that the Lord will answer and manifest himself to our hearts through his word. I trust you'll be in God's word, and I trust that you'll pray that the Lord's word will indeed have free course to your heart every time you open it or come under the preaching of it. Let's close then in prayer. O Lord, as we bow in thy presence now and bring this time to a close, we thank thee for the power of thy word. We thank thee, Lord, that it was when the word was attended to by thy spirit that we gained a saving interest in Christ. We need, O Lord, for that word to continue to have free course to our hearts. And so we pray for that very thing. When we open the book, O Lord, in the coming days, may that word have free course to our hearts. When we gather, O Lord, on Tuesday for our time in prayer, may that word have free course to our hearts. And when we meet on thy day in thy house, Lord's day by Lord's day, O dear God, we pray that thy word may have free course to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.